This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 5. If you want to use one of the Bibles that we provide in our pews, that's page 942, page 942. Romans chapter 5 is our scripture verse today, and I want us to read verses 1 through 5 together, and I want to speak for just a few minutes about our hope and joy in Christ, our hope and joy in Christ. Romans chapter 5 and Let's look at verses 1 through 5 in that passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing passage of Scripture, and we pray that you would help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. We pray that you would help us to discover the hope, the joy, the peace that can be ours through a relationship with you, through your son Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I'm a Washington Redskin fan on the pro level, and so it's really good seeing you guys win a lot, because uh, after games like Thursday night with the Redskins, it was great to see you guys do what you did on, on Friday night. But um, it's been basically, for the last almost a quarter of a century, it's been pretty lean times uh, for the, the Skins. And our last dominant season was 1991. Um, since then, not so much. Uh, so whenever anything happens with the Redskins that's even remotely positive or hope-giving, I'm all over that. And so... Uh, recently, when they changed quarterbacks, and you know, no, no matter how you feel about that decision that they made, uh, the press conference was really riveting television because they've had this quarterback controversy, and, and the coach comes out and he says, "It's Kirk's team, you know, not just for game one, but for 2015." And he was very definitive about it, and it was very dramatic. And then they trotted out Kirk Cousins new quarterback. And of course the press asked, you know, typical dumb question, no, how do you feel about this? But Kirk Cousins' response to that question was anything but dumb. In fact, it was really profound, so profound that I, I've been unable to, to stop thinking about it. Kirk Cousins said on that day, he said to the press, there's something powerful about feeling believed in. There's something powerful about knowing where you stand. And there's really something powerful about knowing where you stand spiritually. About knowing where you stand with God. And that's really what this 
passage of Scripture is about. The Apostle Paul is writing here to the church at, at Rome, and he's basically saying to them, he's saying something has happened to us. Something has happened to us. Something wonderful has happened. We've been justified by faith. And then he says there are results that flow from that. So we're going to talk about both of those things this morning. First of all, what does it mean to be justified by faith? In our scripture, Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in our culture today, when we use the term justified, we usually use it like this. We say, well, I think she was justified in saying that, or he was justified in doing that. In other words, we mean, I think she was right to say that, or he was right to take that course of action. And so it's kind of another word for being right, and that kind of hints at the meaning uh, in the first century. Of course, this is written in, in Greek in the first century. Um, in that culture, at that time, the word justified was a legal term. It was used in the courtroom. And it meant to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. Very similar to what we mean by acquittal today. To be acquitted of all charges. And to be justified, it meant acquittal, but it meant even more than that. It meant that you were declared innocent, completely innocent of all charges. And not only that, you were declared righteous. And Paul is saying here to these Christians in Rome that that's what God has done for us. Um, he has justified us. He has declared us to be in the right with Him. He's, he's declared us righteous. Now, a very obvious question that flows from that is, is this. Um, we're all sinners, okay? Uh, I'm not going to try to prove that this morning, but kinda, deep down we kind of know <laughs> that we are. Um, how can a perfectly righteous God declare people like you and me to be righteous? In other words, how can a righteous God who knows all about our sins, how can a God like that justify justifying sinners like you and me? Well, I want to try to illustrate that if, if I can. Some of you are in the process of college applications. Um, and uh, if you, many others, maybe you're not in that process now, but, but, but you will be. Um, and uh, as a family, we kind of walk, we have a Sundays of freshmen in college, and we sort of walk through this last year. And so what are you doing on a, a college application? You're basically, you're putting down your record. These are my grades. These are my test scores. You know, this is my community service and my experience and, and all of that. You're putting your performance record down on paper. And uh, it can be very tedious. And guys, the fun doesn't end after college because there's a thing called a resume, right? And you're doing the same thing, right? This is my record of performance. And you're saying to a college, to a company, please accept me on the basis of my record. And that's what pretty much every religion in the world except Christianity is about. You're basically saying to God, please accept me on the basis of my record of performance. And a lot of people think that's what Christianity is about, but it's not. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
in Christianity, the Bible teaches that our acceptance with God is not based on our record of performance, which is spotty at best. It's based on the perfect record, the perfect performance of Jesus Christ for us. That's just extremely important that we understand this. Tim Keller is pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, and he says this, In Christianity, it is not your performance record, but Christ. His perfect record is given to those who rely on Him as Savior. We don't develop a righteousness and offer it to God and say, Accept me. God has a perfect righteousness that He will credit to you, and by it you are accepted. You see, Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that we could never live. Jesus, on the cross, paid for our sins, paid our sin debt. We had this crushing debt of sin that we could never pay. Jesus paid it all. And He rose from the dead, defeating death for all who trust in Him. That's His record, and it's a perfect record. And when we come to Christ, turn to Him in repentance and faith, and rely on Him, His perfect record of righteousness is credited to our account. And God offers that to us as a gift. Now, I mean, this is incredibly good news, and it's, it's such good news that it's really difficult for us to understand it because we're not wired this way. <laughs> this is grace. And we are not wired to understand grace. We live in a world that is all about earning. It's all about performance. And so it's very difficult for us to wrap our minds around the fact that God actually offers this to us as a gift. But that's exactly what He does. But it's like any gift. A gift only becomes yours when you receive it. Right? You have to receive it. And the way that you receive God's gift of salvation is by faith. So Paul goes on here in verse 1, and he says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you say, it's faith that saves us? No. It's the work of Christ that saves us. But faith is the way that we receive that. Faith is the way, just like a little child comes before his mom with empty hands trusting that she's going to give what he or she needs Okay, faith is the way that we come before God with, with empty hands and we, we receive the gift of salvation that he has provided through his son now it's very important to understand this it's very important to understand that our faith is not in faith um, our faith is in Christ our faith is in his finished work on the cross his resurrection from the dead. And it's very important for us to understand it because, um, you know, some days we wake up and our faith's not as strong as on other days. Um, and on those days, if your faith is in faith, you're going to be rattled. But if your faith is in Christ and what Christ has accomplished, okay, his death for your sins on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, these are objective facts. It's done. If your faith is in the finished work of Jesus, then you've got something you can really 
bank on for life and for all eternity. That's what it means to be justified by faith. Now, something else happens. When we turn to Jesus in repentance and in faith, then there are all kinds of of results that flow from that. And that's what Paul is talking about in verses 2 through 5. So let's talk about that. What are the results of being justified by faith? He says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have. We have what? First of all, peace with God. Peace with God. He says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the idea here is reconciliation. It means that because of the work of Christ, that we have been reconciled to the Father, that we are at, at, at peace with God because of the work of Christ. Of Christ, And he goes on to say in verses 6 through 8, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together first. Right? He did this when we were still stuck in sin, um, rebelling against him. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he gave his son for us. Now, this is love. I mean, this is unconditional love. And we can either, we can either accept that or we can turn our backs on it. Um, but if we, if we accept it, then there's peace with God. There's a second result that flows from this, and it's this. We're standing in grace. Verse 2. He says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I want to talk about this word access uh, for a bit. One time I was invited to go to a NASCAR race in Richmond, and uh, because of the friend that I was with... We had access to the pits, and so we were able to go down the infield, and, and this friend that I was with actually knew one of the drivers, so we were actually go, able to go into this driver's hauler, his trailer, and, and talk with him. And uh, even better for me as a Redskins fan, this driver uh, drove for Joe Gibbs, Joe Gibbs Racing. And so Coach Gibbs came into the hauler, and I was able to meet him and everything. Um, and so it was a special night. Now, but here's the deal. Had I done anything to merit that, I'd done nothing to merit that. <laughs> I'm not one thing. This had nothing to do with any accomplishment on my part. That access was simply because of who I knew. <laughs> it was because of my friend. That was it. Okay? It had nothing to do with any accomplishment or anything I'd earned. It was all because of just, just who I knew. Okay? And so the Bible is saying here that we have access to God um, because of Christ. You know, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Right? And so Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Access to the Father is through the Son, through Jesus, because it's Jesus who has died for our sins, rose from the dead, and, and made a way for us to have access to God. Um, my access that night ended in about four hours. Okay? This access is 24-7, <laughs> forever. <laughs> it never ends. Um, 
we have access to God because of what Christ has done for us. And because of, of, of that, what, what does he, he say? He says that we are we're, we're, we're standing in grace. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Remember Kirk Cousins' statement? There's something powerful about knowing where you stand. But see, if he has another performance like Thursday night, his status could change, right? This world is about performance. And so, you know, sports stars, politicians, they're in and out of favor, right? They're in and out of the good graces of the public or whatever. Um, Our standing with God, though, again, is based on what? It's not based on us. It's not based on our performance. We always come up short. It's based on the perfect record of Christ and what he's done for us. Okay, and so that's not going to change. It's not going to change. And so we we constantly have this access to God uh, through faith in in Christ. Um, Now, when you really understand that, it changes life. You know, when you understand the unconditional love of God, then what's, what's the response? What's the natural response of our hearts to that? We love Him. We love Him in return. But when we understand how much He's loved us, the, the, the reflexive action of our hearts is that we love Him and we desire to obey Him. We desire to follow Him. It changes our lives. We're standing in grace. And and then he talks about uh, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Um, Verse 2 again. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, literally in Greek, um, the word rejoice here means boast. We boast in hope. And that doesn't mean we kind of beat our chest but it does mean that we are joyfully confident. We are, we are joyfully confident. Why? Well, first of all, we're joyfully confident in our future. I mean, one day we're all going to stand before God. Um, and if we know Christ, we have every reason to be, to be joyfully confident because, you know, we're going to be uh, dressed in his perfect righteousness that's been given to us. And so um, we're joyfully confident in the future. But what about the present? Because the present in this life can be really difficult. The present in this life, in this broken world, often involves suffering. How can we have joy in the midst of adversity and suffering? He's going to talk about that. He says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, I want us to go back to this phrase, we rejoice in our sufferings. The Bible is not saying here that we celebrate suffering. It is saying that we can celebrate in suffering. In other words, that we can celebrate despite suffering when it comes. Why? Well, first of all, it's only temporary. Right? Any, any suffering, any adversity that we go through is only temporary because, you know, if we know Christ, we've got this glorious future that's waiting for us that's going to be forever, and any suffering that we endure in this life is very temporary. That's one reason that we can rejoice. Um, but also we can rejoice because we know that, that, that God is actually, if we approach our suffering in the right way, 
with faith, we can know that God is actually going to be doing some good things, all kinds of good things in our lives through that. In fact, Paul here talks about a whole chain reaction of good things that can come when we approach adversity and suffering with faith, doesn't he? He says, suffering produces endurance or perseverance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. This passage is very, very similar to James chapter 1, where the Bible says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Saturday before last, I was watching the Notre Dame-Georgia Tech game on TV. And towards the end of the first half, uh, Georgia Tech attempted a a pass uh, in the Notre Dame end zone. And one of Notre Dame's defensive backs, Drew Tranquil, rose and he made a great play on this pass. He broke up the pass and uh, he was celebrating with one of his teammates. And the two guys just, uh, just jumped and they sort of chest bumped in midair, just, you know, very typical celebration, um, nothing out of line or anything. And they, they, they just, they just kind of spontaneously jumped up, they bumped in midair, and I, I guess that just sort of made Drew fall awkwardly a little bit. But in the next moment, he was writhing in pain, just screaming in pain because he had torn his... ACL, not on the play, but on the celebration after the play. And what made it even worse was that this same guy had torn the ACL in his other knee last year and had recovered from that and come back. And I'm thinking, what? This, this guy, how in the world do you respond to something like that? And uh, it was just concerning. I mean, on a human level, I was concerned for this guy. And, and I saw the next day that Drew Tranquil had posted these verses on Twitter. Um, these same verses from James. Now, I, I don't know what this kid's football future is going to be, but I can almost promise you he is going to have a great future. <laughs> as a man, right? Because, you know, as someone once said, and I think it's very true, uh, life is about 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to what happens. You know, here's a guy who is approaching adversity with faith. And when we do that, God can do all kinds of wonderful things in our lives. Things that are going to be with us far beyond that immediate adversity. Things that are going to be with us throughout the course of our lives. And you see, when do we really develop these virtues? Right? When, when is it that we develop endurance, perseverance? Right? How does our character get developed? How does our hope get developed? Is it, is it when everything is going great? It's, we usually grow the most as people when we face adversity. 
And, and what happens is that that adversity that we face, you know, can bring out. It, it, enables, it enables our hope, our faith, our character, our endurance to develop. Um, one New Testament scholar, Douglas New, says this. He says, hope like a muscle will not be strong if it goes unused. When do we get to use hope and endurance? We get to use it most of all during times of adversity. Paul finishes out this in verse 5 when he says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One writer says this about this passage so powerfully. Standing in grace as a status, a position where we are surrounded by God's love and generosity, invited to breathe it as our native air. As we do, we realize that it is something so big, so massive, so unimaginably beautiful and powerful. We stand there in God's own presence, deeply grateful, and begin to inhale His goodness, His wisdom, His power, and His joy. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that this would be the natural air that we learn to, to breathe. It's very hard for us to understand your amazing grace because we don't live in a world like that, but we know that you're a God like that. And so we thank you for the incredible love that you have shown us in Jesus. We pray that you would help us to, to begin to breathe that naturally, to inhale uh, your love, your power, the peace, the hope that come through Christ, comes through Christ, that we would begin to, to, to really take that into our lives. Um, and I pray for, uh, for anyone here, just I don't know where everybody is as far as a relationship with you, but Lord, I pray that your spirit would be greatly at work um, in lives knowing that the, the door is, is wide open uh, to come to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see who Jesus is and his love and what he's done for us and to turn to him and trust him and understand uh, what, a, what a relationship with you is all about. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand in, in just a moment for our closing uh, song uh, today. Um, and if you're here today and, uh, and God's at work in your life, you'd like to, to pray with someone or uh, God's speaking to your heart in any way, we'd love to be here for you. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. 
Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.